0: on with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Happy New Year's, everybody. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're taking a look back and a look forward as we head into a new decade of geopolitics and breaking news on this New Year's Eve. The president, uh, just within the last hour, saying that, in his words, there will be a quote-unquote threat that has been made against Iran, for that protest at the Iraq embassy in Baghdad, we are going to have the latest developments as it relates to the escalating situation and tensions between the U.S. and Iran, and the latest in Iraq. Luis Giavone here, journalist, senior lecturer at John Hopkins University Cary Business School. Luis.
1: Happy you, New Year, Kevin. What are you
2: doing when the clock strikes 12?
1: <laughs> my dog and I will be waiting for my husband to come home from his news anchor shift yes at wtop news do you have any Radio new year's traditions uh we're usually waiting for one or the other of us to return for our <laughs> news jobs <laughs> that's our tradition
2: eric wasson bloomberg congressional reporter happy new year's any new year's traditions
3: uh, you know, every year is different, and I think this year is going to be kind of a quiet one. Uh, just meeting some friends for dinner and, and hanging out and kind of doing low key.
2: You know, I peaked when I was a kid. I, my favorite memories of New Year's I, I used to go in Delco to Drexel Hill. My grandmother, Mimi, she's passed away. God bless. And we used to, all the cousins go, stay up till midnight. Remember, like, the, the p- banging pots and pans and the, the oh, firecrackers? Yeah.
1: The, Our parents knew how to do New Year's. When
2: Right after Trump got elected, I was covering the transition down in, in, in the Mar-a-Lago, and I met Rocky. Sylvester Stallone was down there. I wow. fist-bumped him. So that was kind of a highlight, That is I cool. I, you know, but that's but you know, it's just memory. a quiet— A quiet time. It was not a quiet day in Washington, and we're going to begin tonight with new developments coming from the U.S. and Iran on that particular front. The president uh, tweeting out uh, just within the last hour or so. I just got off Bloomberg TV talking about this, and it's, it's been incredibly a quickly moving story. Just within the last hour, the president tweets, quote, The U.S. embassy in Iraq is and has been for hours safe. Many of our great war fighters, together with the most lethal military equipment in the world, was immediately rushed to the site. Thank you to the president and prime minister of Iraq for their rapid response upon request. Iran will be held fully responsible for lives lost or damage incurred at any of our facilities. They will pay a very big price. This is not a warning. It is a threat. Happy New Year. That coming from President Donald Trump. That embassy in Baghdad was attacked by all intents and purposes uh, as, as a bevy of activity and protesters that the U.S. is saying Iran helped fuel the furor of this facility in Baghdad in the past 24 hours has launched an even more escalating tension as the administration, Luis, tries to get a hold on Tehran's
1: Expansionary policies. Yeah, it's really amazing how close they got. This is the biggest embassy anywhere in the world, and you would assume the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad would be impermeable, but they got so close, I guess, using uh, cars to smash through barricades. There are really frightening pictures of them using uh, poles and pipes to crash into windows and throw in uh, fiery uh, objects. It was remarkable. And they can't stop thinking about Hillary Clinton and Benghazi. Uh, You know that throughout this entire thing, they're thinking we cannot have a Benghazi right so uh so it is it is really a, a time of testing for the United States and u s foreign policy, and Mike Pompeo, who was then a big critic of Hillary Clinton and Benghazi, is now he 's the guy in the driver 's seat, and they have to show up for it
2: interesting point, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is scheduled to be in Ukraine over the next couple of days. Uh, He was down at Mar-a-Lago, what the president calls the summer White House. Eric Wasson, Bloomberg, congressional uh, reporter, as Congress, of course, is in recess, a meeting with his team of national security advisors. The president has been down there and authorizing a military strike in parts of Syria, as well as in northern Iraq on Sunday evening in response to what the U.S. says were attacks from Iran on joint U.S.-Iraq military facilities, so that embassy today in Baghdad being stormed was a response from Iran for those missile strikes on Sunday night. However, the administration and my sources at the State Department have been adamant that that was a responsive and and quite honestly a a, a uh, measured response to. Uh, uh, Iran really targeting joint U.S.-Iraq military facilities. What what has leadership been
3: saying, Eric? I know they're on recess, but any congressional reaction? There has been reaction, and Adam Schiff, one of the uh, biggest critics of Trump, leader of the impeachment uh, effort, uh, made the point that Trump should be doing more to consult with Congress and also also to consult with Iraq. I mean, the big question here is, was diplomacy effectively employed uh, this may have uh, taken the Iraqis by surprise and uh, eff- effectively inflamed a situation, which in, the, in many ways was trending in the favor of the U.S. There were large protests for weeks in Iraq uh, against Iran's influence on the government. So here uh, there's warnings from Democrats that Trump may be snatching uh, defeat from the jaws of victory as far as uh, Iraqi public opinion.
2: All right. Coming up, we're going to hear from my interview with the U.S. special envoy to Iran. That's Brian Hook. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. New developments from the president on Iran. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg
3: 99.1.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7
2: FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Yesterday, I interviewed Brian Hook. He, of course, is the U.S. Special Envoy to Iran, uh, works at the State Department, a senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. And I interviewed him about those airstrikes that were carried out on Sunday New York time evening uh, in uh, Syria and northern Iraq after the administration says Iran had been involved in strikes on U.S.-Iraq uh, facilities. Take a listen to our interview.
4: Well, these were defensive uh, strikes that the President ordered. We have American troops that are in Iraq for a very specific mission to ensure the enduring defeat of ISIS. Those American troops are located at Iraqi military bases. And over the last two months, there have been almost a dozen attacks by Iranian proxies against those bases. And then a couple of days ago, an American was killed number of American soldiers were injured and also some Iraqi soldiers were injured and so the president decided to and and as an act of of defense ordered air strikes three in Iraq two in Syria uh, and we're also trying to send a message to Iran that they need to stop this
2: telling them to stay in their lane Iran should stay in Iran not meddle in Iraq right
4: exactly and Iran has been running an expansionist foreign policy for 40 years this is the last revolutionary regime on earth The president's made very clear that um, he's shown a lot of restraint um, in light of Iranian provocations, uh, but we also made clear that we will take decisive action uh, if uh, there is an injury or harm to our personnel or interests, and so then you had the military response just uh, yesterday.
2: You and I have spoken previously about the maximum economic pressure campaign against Tehran, and you, you just alluded to their expansionary policies. You know I, I hear what you're saying, I read the reports and I'm curious it, it would appear that more sanctions are likely on the table and more sanctions in the short term.
4: Yeah right now Iran is facing its worst financial crisis in its 40year history. The, the, this is the Islamic Republic of Iran. And as we look ahead to 2020, unless Iran starts behaving like a normal nation, you're going to start seeing many more sanctions. So we've put in place um, the, the, the most, sort of most pressure. In the, in the last 40 years against this regime, we've put in place, and so they're deep into a recession. Uh, we, have, we have collapsed their oil exports. We have collapsed their uh, all of the foreign direct investment into Iran, and we're going to continue to drive up the costs on the regime for behaving like an outlaw country. So
2: more, more sanctions could still happen? Very likely. Meanwhile, the, there's protests, not just uh, in Iran, but, but all throughout the region. How have they been uh, influencing Uh, the the Shia as a proxy force in the region.
4: Well, You've seen protests now. It's an amazing phenomenon. You've seen protests in Iran, Iraq, and Lebanon occurring at the same time, and in all three countries, massive protests, and in all three countries, the consistent thread is an opposition to the Iranian regime. The the people in each of these countries are tired of Iran's model of corruption and sectarian violence, and uh, also... Terrible economic conditions. This is a regime that prioritizes ideology over the welfare of their own people. And whenever they they go into countries like Lebanon or Iraq, it always makes things worse for the for the people in those countries.
2: Meanwhile, Secretary Pompeo giving a speech on Iran just the other week about their human rights violations, and he mentioned that the Iranians have submitted something like thirty six thousand tips and submissions using social media platforms and that the administration has been using these submissions of violations of the Iranian regime to piece together some of these these horrific human rights violations. What's that number up to now?
4: It's now up to 45,000.
2: 45,000.
4: And so uh, there were two things we did when the protests started. Uh, we stood with the Iranian people, the president, the secretary of state, very clearly express their support for the demands the Iranian people were making on their own government and then the secretary also created essentially a tip box for Iranians to submit photos videos and messages of regime violence against its own people we've had 45,000 submissions done uh, through telegram
2: and just uh, you know quickly uh, in uh, several weeks ago when when I spoke with you, uh, after that exchange of prisoners and in fact a, a U.S. prisoner who was being detained by Iran uh, you, were, you worked virtually you know, round the clock to get that individual released and it appeared that maybe there was just going to be a glimmer of hope that, that, that things would be trending in a positive direction. Do you still have that hope or is the, the events of the last 24 hours just completely walked it back?
4: Well, we made clear that there are two tracks. There's the, there's the dialogue where we try to get the Americans who are wrongly detained in Iran, get them out of Iran and bring them back home to their loved ones, back to the United States. The other track is where we're advancing our national security objectives. And Iran presents many threats to uh, peace and security. The nuclear threat, missile threat, regional aggression, and the hostage-taking of Americans. So we are going to continue these two tracks. We're going to try to get the remaining Americans out of prison in Iran. But we're going to continue to execute our campaign of maximum economic pressure.
2: That was Brian Hook, the U.S. Special Envoy to Iran, speaking with me yesterday on Bloomberg Television. Coming up, a preview of the year ahead with Luis Schiavone and Eric Wasson. Download the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast on Apple iTunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cerilli. Happy New Year's Eve. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. You
2: know, I never thought that this year would end. Many times it felt like Groundhog Day up on Capitol Hill. Then it felt... I don't know, like a a giant ultra marathon. I'm Kevin Cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. And we find ourselves not at the finish line, folks, at the starting line of a new decade. And I'm starting this new decade off with Luis Giavoni, journalist, senior lecturer at John Hopkins University, Carey Business School, and Eric Wasson, Bloomberg Congressional reporter. Eric, what was the best book you read this year?
3: You know, I just finished a book called The Club by Leo Damroche, and this is, I think, a great one for our Bloomberg listeners. It talks about... These 18th century intellectuals, uh, uh, Samuel Johnson, Adam Smith, who invented economics, Joshua Reynolds, greatest painter of the day, they all would meet on a Friday night at this Turk's Head Tavern for drinks and discuss the ideas that shaped the modern world. And it's beautiful illustrations. It's a real, uh, for anyone interested in the history of Britain, the history of the Western world, it's wonderful. A real page turn I'll recommend is Night Boat to Tangier by Kevin Barry. It's about two aging uh, Irish drug dealers waiting for a boat to come in from Morocco, waiting for a girl to show up. We don't know who she is is what's going to happen it's it's a real page turner and a wonderful young see voice i out still of
2: haven't seen the irishman but i want to read the book that it's based on the name escapes me before i get to it louise best book you read
1: so i think one of the most artistically told stories that i've read so far Is um, a gentleman in Moscow by uh, Anna Tolst? Have you read that? No,
2: I've heard it's great though. It's It's about
1: the transition from Russia's aristocracy to the current grinding uh, to the grinding communism of the Soviet Union, and uh, told through the adventures of one person who used to be an aristocrat and how he adapted and how it affected his life and his family. But uh, really brilliant, brilliant story. Another one that I read was Beneath the Scarlet Sky by. Mark Sullivan, which is a story about World War II Italy in the the northern part of Italy where uh, these uh, priests were creating pathways for uh, safe passage from the Nazis uh, for for, um, uh, fugitives. Really fantastic story. And what I love about it is the author himself had had just one dud after another and he was just desperate by the time he wrote this. And he found a guy whose story this was. And it is a brilliant and Successful story, and, and then the, the last thing I read was um, my gosh, was the, you read wait so minute, many. When, you only get one, I, Louise. Wait, I just want to say three. this: that I read "In Search of Lost Time" by Marcel Proust, which was just the most massive slug. Right. But I felt I had to How read it. How long did it. it
3: take? Don't you it hate took that? Took
1: like five weeks. I mean, incredible. between the
2: Mueller report and then all of these other things that come out, it's like we're constantly having to read this stuff. All right, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you what my favorite book was what? Yet. yet. Yet, stay tuned. How's that for it? Christine Barada says that my that I've gotten very good at previewing <laughs> things segments. She's our executive producer, and I would not be able to be on the air if it wasn't for Christine Baradas. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off because I I'm kind of annoyed that I didn't think of the title of this book for my eventual memoir when I'm ninety years old. So that's 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 a little tease because the name of the book could have been maybe perhaps the name of the memoir. All right, so I, let's talk 2020 because as we look ahead. In the short term. Next week, Senate comes back. They're going to vote on USMCA, Eric?
3: Well, the vote is actually going to be delayed until the uh, aftermath of the impeachment trial, at least according to Mitch McConnell. McConnell's
2: now now saying, wow, McConnell has now said they're not going to vote on USMCA until after the impeachment trial?
3: That's right. But it's not entirely clear that the impeachment trial will start next week. Uh, You know, McConnell will come back in on Friday. And we'll have a story on uh, all the strategizing behind this. But at, at the moment, Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has not sent over the articles of impeachments. They're kind of in a standoff over the, over the shape of the trial. Do they need the articles of impeachment? There's that legal debate. There is under the Senate rules. They could change the Senate rules, but they would have to nuke the filibuster to do that. And there's Ugh. no way McConnell will do that. Uh, so, yeah, I think, you know. I think the main thing for for 2020 if you look back uh, you know how long is a year a year ago we were in a big government uh, shutdown standoff 35 days as what we were all talking about a year ago. I did not see any fiscal road bumps in the year ahead. Uh, The government's funded through September that it will not be uh, a hiccup before the election. We don't have another debt ceiling crisis like we just had in the past year. Uh, but we will see, I think, the potential for a drug pricing deal. There's a big fiscal. uh, In May, uh, Pelosi and McConnell have set off a uh, fiscal deadline for health programs, and we're looking at the possibility of a drug pricing deal, surprise billing deal that will have big effects on health stocks and pharmaceuticals. Uh, We're also looking at a big debate on FISA, on uh, you know, the whole ability to, to wiretap and sur- surveil, that's going to be expiring in March. And with the uh, report that see, came I'm, out on the FBI surveillance uh, f- inflaming the debate, that's going to be a big one, too. I'm
2: still on January. Honestly, I'm, I'm up to mid-February. Between now and Valentine's Day, Luis, it's going to be pure political mayhem. Because you've got USMCA, President Trump, tweeting out earlier today that on January 15th— Did you see this? Mark your calendar. January 15th is the date that President Trump has said he is going to sign that phase one trade deal with U.S. and China at the White House. And this comes following more positive headlines coming out of Beijing. So USMCA, January 15th, you've got the U.S.-China phase one uh, trade deal getting inked. And then January 16th is that Democratic presidential debate, the Iowa caucus, is on, February, is on February 3rd, I believe, and the next day, February 4th, is the State of the Union address in the backdrop of the impeachment trial. <laughs> Buckle up, Luis.
1: You're not going to have time to read all those books. Yeah. Well, that's why I did all my reading this year. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, I mean, we've seen, we've seen years like this, right? Um, I mean, during no. the, during the, during the uh, Clinton impeachment, it was, it was equally chaotic. There was
2: never an, a, a presidential election. There was never a. The president didn't. get Clinton didn't give the State of the Union, did he? During during the impeachment don't trial. Don't
1: you think? Don't you think that we have grown so accustomed to the breakneck pace of events, especially with this president who uh, programs events and statements and tweets and um, and speeches and um, and all of his activities with with a with a TV programmer's hand. But we, watching this this administration is like watching an advertisement. It's just it's just one millisecond image after another, after another, after another, after another. Uh, and that's how the whole next year is going to be. And
3: that's made a lot of political punditry very difficult. If you look at the predictions that were coming out a year ago, and now we have predictions about how the impeachment vote will affect the upcoming election. But it is a lifetime away. And nobody as, knows! You know, the, the thousands of Trump tweets, many controversies uh that go on uh, of course overall we see the economy very strong and that's really in, in the president's favor as far as the election but the election will be the big story and, and if you talk about January uh, Kevin uh we have the interesting split screen of the impeachment trial going on and we have five senators who are running for president who are going to be jurors in that Gardner We've got Gardner, we've got Michael Bennett, we've got Elizabeth Warren, we've got Amy Klobuchar, and we've got Bernie Sanders. All are going to be silent jurors in this trial, keeping them off the campaign trail where they very much want to be and prefer to be. And That's a big dynamic that's going to be going on in January in the Senate. How quickly are they going to wrap that up? Uh, and how uh, you know quickly are we going to see Trump acquitted, which is the most likely result? And now
2: Susan Collins, did you catch this? Senator Susan Collins said she's open to having witnesses. She, of course, is a Republican from Maine, a key senator in this. Take a listen to Susan Collins when she was on Maine Public Radio earlier. Here she is. I am open to witnesses. I think it's premature to decide who should be called. Until we see the evidence that is presented and get the answers to the questions that we senators can submit through the chief justice to both sides. Eric, I just don't, I, I, you know, I hear from uh, Lisa Murkowski. We hear from Senator Susan Collins. But ultimately, what Leader McConnell decides to do Friday, huddled before everybody gets back into town. That's what's going to set the course here.
3: Well, he certainly has the lead role in all this, although uh, Democrats point out this is not Merrick Garland. He doesn't control the floor entirely. Fifty-one senators, uh, it takes a vote of them to set the rules on the trial. Now, I would note with Susan Collins, she's being critical of McConnell. She did say it was inappropriate for him to say uh, you know, he's not going to be uh, impartial, but she did not really buck him. His strategy is basically, uh, let's move to a phase one without witnesses, talk about witnesses later. That's the exact same thing that she said in that interview.
2: Go ahead, Louise.
1: Susan Collins is facing a tough uh, re-election campaign, and she's got to uh, appear to be a moderate. She she's got to appear to be one of those uh, Republicans that Joe Biden might ask to run as his vice president. Well, I'm joking. There's obviously. no way. No, he they were, look that whole thing with Joe Biden saying he might run with a with a Republican is so so crazy. But the, there's the no way. The whole premise of it and his answer. It's like, do they? So, so do you cover the Senate? I do. Do they still God, call? It do is they Eric still? It? Do they still, in spite of the fact that they hate each other, rise to give a speech and, and acknowledge they're a good friend from whatever state it is?
3: They do, and sometimes they meet. There was some really moving uh, encomiums to uh, Johnny Isaacson, who just re- uh, retired. Uh, one of the few that really united people. But I, I do say, oftentimes it is just words.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's just no in this climate. Let, uh, take a look. You mentioned Biden. We have that sound bite. Here's former Vice President Joe Biden talking about Republicans earlier in in. Uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, here he is.
3: You know, there's some really decent Republicans that are out there still. But here's the problem right now of the well known ones. They've got to step up. Do you know what I mean?
2: But if you go to Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio, and you look at those independent voters, they, if Republicans think that the impeachment saga is an absolute farce. Democrats think that he should have been removed from office a while ago, but those independent voters are staring at the economy. And so I, it, it it might play well with bases, but it it's you know when, when President Trump does this or former Vice President Biden
1: does this, I'm not sure it moves the needle at all. Does it, Louise? Well, I thought it was supposed to be the no malarkey tour, right? <laughs> it's just the biggest bunch of malarkey I ever wow. heard. New Year's Eve. Come on. All right, coming Don't you up, agree? Coming up, what, I,
2: I'm staying out of that. <laughs> Uh, listen i got one more <laughs> show before the end of the year and we're gonna not say anything uh coming up no i but I, but I think it speaks to a larger his effort and he's been consistent on this point former vice president Biden uh, about trying to win over some of those more independent
3: voters. And, and that, he, and he and was it, the top negotiator in the Obama yeah. administration to Mitch McConnell. He does have a history of bipartisanship, and that's something that he gets criticized from the right. left. So there is some truth to it, but obviously the idea of him running with the Republicans is not going to
2: happen. That, I would say, I, I would be stunned. This is my I don't predict, but should he pick a Republican, it would be newsworthy. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes app by downloading the Bloomberg Business app or uh, at Bloomberg.com. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. New decade. New start. Where will you be 10 years from now? Where will you be 12 months from now? Or as my mom says, is it going to matter in 10 minutes, 10 days, or 10 years from now? 10, 10, and 10. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Luis Schiavone is here. Eric Wasson is here. Favorite news story of the decade. Luis. Well,
1: I don't know if this is my favorite news story of the decade, but it is my favorite news story of the moment, and that is the escape of Le Coste Carlos Ghosn.
2: This is what's on your radar. This is. You came into the bureau today, telling me. Did you? I-, I said, yeah, I was following it. I was following Luis, but tell me, break it down for why why you're so obsessed with this story.
1: Well, first of all, I have been talking about Carlos Ghosn in my classes at Johns Hopkins University Carey Business School. Um, Which it, you've never it, allowed me to go to. Uh, well, it seems to me you're always busy, Kevin. <laughs> we, can re- we can revisit that in the new year. But anyway. As long as
2: there's pizza, I'll be there. It,
1: he is a fascinating, fascinating, dynamic, charismatic, brilliant leader. And he was arrested for financial irregularities, um, and uh, was ousted by Nissan and arrested in Japan and in and out of jail in Japan. But uh, I I love the latest take on how this happened, Um, that according to the New York Post, while awaiting trial – The 65-year-old former Nissan CEO, the New York Post reports, was loaded into an empty musical instrument case. What? Listen to this. After receiving a visit at his home in Tokyo from a musical band whose members turned out to be mercenaries, Lebanese TV news channel MTV said Tuesday. I mean, first of all, he was so closely watched in Tokyo, the notion— That these authorities in Tokyo would let these Gregorian chant band people into his house in Tokyo is so irregular and strange anyway. Didn't they think that was strange? But according to Lebanese TV news channel MTV, they loaded him into one of these boxes, transferred the box Containing gone and their other instruments onto a, a plane for a local flight, flown from Istanbul into uh, Lebanon, where he is from and his uh, current and former wife, uh, both of them, are, all of them are from. And he is a big favorite son uh, in Lebanon, but he arrives. In that country, at a time when the country uh, is facing very, very rough economic times, uh, a lot of rejection of the old, uh, very rich uh, hold elite on, hold leaders. the phone,
2: hold the phone. Carlos Ghosn, the former CEO of Nissan Mitsubishi, arrested Renault. back in November Renault. of 2018 <laughs> for financial misconduct, to put it mildly. Then he escapes because he was held in jail. Think about this. Think about you can't even make this up if you wanted to. He's held in jail for the start of his trial, which was gonna begin next year, and then he gets shoved in a
1: music case. No, he, he but, but he was in and out of jail and he was at home on house
2: arrest. But he's shoved in a music case. To go to Lebanon. I mean, you really can't make it up. And I will say this. You hear the story, and it's, it's fascinating. It's one that's worth reporting on. Bloomberg has done tremendous coverage of this story all throughout the day. My colleagues on Bloomberg Television— have really been all over this, but you hear this story and you put it through the prism of criminal justice reform and how this guy's going to be able to pay to get off the hook. And you go to to to, to in America, pick any pick any town in, in, in America, and you see how folks are are put in jail for for just you know misdemeanors that aren't even that that likely Let, that, that are legal let's now.
1: Let's agree that that's let's agree that that's but all it's hard. Too. But there's it's a, hard. there's a whole other thing, right? And uh, so Carlos Ghosn is saying that he was unfairly accused, and whether or not that's true, uh, I'm certainly not going to weigh in. But yeah, well, um, trial is not going to go to his but trial. The, but but the evidence is that uh, the Japanese uh, uh, government has a uh, 100% case of uh, achieving criminal convictions. It's it's fascinating, though. I mean, it,
2: it, by fleeing, you're not giving yourself that trial. All right, that that is an, that's a that's a. I love a, this. A, story. I can't wait yeah. for the movie. Well, I mean, there's a lot of movies that I never, I was gonna never mind. Anyway, Eric, what's on your radar, buddy?
3: Well, I think one of the key stories for people to look at as far as Congress is where the Senate is going to flip. You know, none of these uh, uh, proposals by Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. That have Wall Street so concerned really have a a, a a prayer of getting passed unless the Senate becomes Democratic and there's an increasing chance that it, it will. There's new opportunities that have opened with the retirement of Johnny Isaacson in Georgia, that the chance that Mike Pompeo won't run in Kansas and that goes to Chris Kobach as the GOP nominee. There's a real increasing chance that the Senate uh, you know could flip. And I think that's something that we that people should pay attention to because it could change what kind of policies. But you the, think the Senate really could flip? It's, it's an increasing chance of that. Whereas a a year ago, it didn't seem likely at all. So, you know, that would affect a lot of policies, whether it's from tax or, or, or you know, health care, you know, Medicare for what all. What do et you
2: think the driving factor is that that now makes you question that the that the Senate could
3: flip? Uh, well, Trump's continued unpopularity. I mean, impeachment didn't really increase his unpopularity. He remains unpopular and underwater, and that's a big driving factor. Despite the economy that which is not moving it up, and then there's the fact that there's new opportunities that are opening up, whether it's the retirement of Pat Robertson in, in, in Kansas or. Uh, to Georgia retirements as well, and also just the dynamics that are going to play in the Senate. We have Senate increasingly interested in challenging Trump on human rights to sort of establish its own track record. Again, with drug pricing, trying to come up with some kind of uh, uh, deal to address the number one concern of voters, which is the skyrocketing price of drugs in America. Yeah, and uh, and possibly even developing an infrastructure plan by the fall. So you know, uh, these are things I want to be watching. It's a lot to watch. A lot to watch.
2: You know, what's on my radar? Kim Jong Un. Did you see this? North Korean leader, reading from the Associated Press, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un called for his military and diplomats to prepare unspecified offensive measures to protect the country's security and sovereignty, the North Korean state media said on Monday before his end of the year deadline for the Trump administration to make major concessions to salvage a fragile nuclear diplomacy. So with tensions, we started the show off by talking about Iran and Iraq, and now this brewing North Korea situation. It's going to be interesting.
1: The beat goes on. And there's the
2: the election. Don't forget about the presidential election. Okay, my favorite book of the year. Can't wait. Well, my favorite book last year, which still is one of my all-time favorite books, it's called Daring to Drive by Manal al-Sharif. It is the memoir of one of the activists in Saudi Arabia who posted on social media her driving a car and back a couple of years ago until I believe only the last two years, it was against Saudi custom for women to drive cars in Saudi Arabia. This book is a fascinating account of a uh, of a Saudi Aramco employee who posted on various social media accounts and she was jailed, imprisoned and it's, it's a really fascinating look into Saudi Arabia and just how much they lag behind on basic rights and, and issues. Uh, but my favorite book this year is fiction. And it's called The End of the World Running Club by Adrian Walker. And it's about an asteroid that hits the earth and this guy has to run across the country to save his family. Oh, cool. It could have been the title of my memoir. Why? Sometimes the news feels like
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Happy New Year everybody. Happy New New Year. Year, Kevin. thanks
2: for spending it with with Uber Radio Salon. Always Sound how on, great. You know, and thank you for listening. If you're out there, please be safe tonight. Please drive safe tonight. Please drive safe tonight. Please drive safe, tonight. Please drive safe to or, or take an Uber. Or take an Uber, Uber and just be yeah. safe. It's not worth it, everybody. And happy new year. Thanks for following along. So much news to get through next year. I have off for the rest of the week. I will be back on Monday. And Eric Wasson just got me alert. It looks like there's a lot of news. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Kevin Cerilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.